0: Since it is Christmas time, um, I uh, won't preach verse by verse, Uh, it will be a bit of a topical sermon, but we'll look at some verses here from the first chapter of John's Gospel, and the focus will be on the first part of verse 14, the well-known Christmas verse in John's Gospel. So, Now there's this uh, reality TV series, I haven't watched many episodes, but I've seen a few of them, called Undercover Boss. I don't know if you have seen that, but it's quite an interesting story, and it's uh, normally about this very senior executive or owner of a big company who then goes undercover and he works as an entry-level worker, and that can be in a whole lot of different environments. It could be uh, in a factory on the assembly line. Um, or uh, the one episode I saw was of a uh, owner of a big fishing company um, Went to work on one of the fishing boats as a fisherman These workers normally don't know who it is uh, Sometimes they realize But um, as I went through this text There were some elements of that reality series um, That reminded me of the message of Christmas You see these high executives need to step down and go and work as a normal entry-level worker. And um, we we will get to that. But just to give you a short introduction on John's Gospel, um, there are four Gospels in the Bible, Most of you know, know, um, the first four books in the New Testament. And they are all telling the story of Jesus and his life. That's why they're called Gospels. Gospel means good news. They're telling the good news of Jesus, of how he was born, how he lived uh, on this earth, eventually how he died, and how he rose again. So there are four, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are sometimes referred to as the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic gospel Now Synoptic are made up of two words, the word synoptic, it's the word sin which means together, think think about synchronous, the word together, and optic is to see or to view. In other words, these three Gospels, they say, are almost like they are seeing together or to view together. And the reason why they call them synoptic Gospels is because they are structured more or less in a similar way. They follow Jesus' life almost uh, uh, from the beginning uh, of his ministry or Matthew and Luke, from his birth, and they take uh, uh, jesus's life chronologically until he dies and uh, and and rises again from the dead. but then John came along, and John is not part of the synoptic Gospels. now John, as we know uh, it was written by Jesus' apostle John, who was the only apostle that got quite old um in fact, I think he, he might have uh, he might have been in his nineties. Um, and he was uh, um, uh, uh, on the island of Patmos, as we know. And he was the he, he wrote his gospel by far. I think about twenty years after the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels were all written reasonably close to one another, time-wise. And many speculate. Obviously, we don't know it out of the biblical record, but many speculate that the apostle John. Probably had access to some of the early copies of these Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke. I think uh, John, being Jesus' closest friend, would have, uh, uh, would have seen what was written about Jesus. And when John started to write his Gospels, his Gospel, he thought he's going to do something a little bit differently th- than the others. Because he saw that the story of Jesus' birth was already Well well documented. So what John did is rather than focus for Jesus' birth, rather than focus on the story of Jesus' birth, John focused on the significance of Jesus' birth. Or you can say rather than focusing on the baby in the manger, John focused on the real meaning behind Christmas. And this is what we get in this first chapter, is the real significance of Jesus' birth. And it's all summed up in that one little verse, which we will unpack. Now, in this world we are living in today, here in the UK, Christmas is quite a big thing. I mean, everything is about Christmas. The past almost two months, it feels, that we hear the Christmas songs playing, We see everything, uh, decorations in the shops and so forth. But let's just take away all the non-biblical things like Santa Claus and Christmas trees and decorations and lights and so forth. We still see quite a lot about the story of Jesus' birth everywhere. We see the the wise men and nativity scenes and shepherds and so forth. I even saw in my child's nativity plays, even though it was not, not... Nowhere close to being evangelistic or gospel-focused, there was a Mary and a a Joseph and shepherds and and angels and uh, um, wise men and so forth. I think that in the UK and the Western world and in a lot of countries, most people, Christian and non-Christian, will actually know most about the story of Jesus' birth. They will know about something about the wise men and the shepherds and so forth. But the real sad thing about Christmas is that many few actually understand the significance of Christmas. What Christmas is all about, what, what's the significance for us here today, almost 2000 years later. And this is what I hope I can explain today out of John's Gospel what John in intended, writing it almost 2,000 years ago, John wrote about the significance of Jesus' birth. So I have three headings for us, and they all based on that opening phrase in verse 14. And the headings are as follows. It's, the first heading is the Word. The second heading is became flesh. And the third heading is and dwelt among us. And we'll unpack those three. So let's start with the Word. The Word. Now, In John chapter 1 verse 14, John writes, And the Word became flesh. What does John mean with the Word? Why did he not say Jesus became flesh? We need to remember that all those years ago, John wrote within the Roman Empire, and the philosophy that was the, the leading philosophy was the Greek philosophy. And the Greek philosophers had this idea that they called the divine reason or the mind of God. And the phrase they used to explain that was called the logos or the word. And what John is saying is that what you uh, uh, uh that what you think about in your philosophy. I'm here to explain to you who that really is. That logos that you talk about is our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is what he was saying. So we see who this word is that he's talking about in the first five verses of John's gospel. And I'll go through them very, very quickly. The first thing we see that in the beginning was the word. In the beginning. Now, does that remind you of another verse in the Bible? In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in Genesis 1 verse 1. And here John is saying, but there in the beginning... Before God created the heavens and the earth, the Word already existed. In other words, the Word, our Lord Jesus, the Word is eternal, is eternal. And that's the first thing that that, that John uh, mentions, that the Word was there even before time existed itself. Our Lord Jesus was already there. It says, in the beginning was the Word. So that's the first one. The word is eternal. The second is, the word was with God. In other words, what he's saying is that Jesus is a separate person to God. He is not God the Father, but he's a separate person. So before, before time existed, Jesus was there and he was with the Father. The word was a, a separate person. And then he drops the bombshell where he says, And the Word was God. Now the early church for the first few hundred years, when the church existed, really grappled with this teaching. How could Jesus be a separate person, but God at the same time? And this is where they got to the teaching of the Trinity, which I'll get into. But here we see that the Word was divine. Divine. The word was God himself. Then it says, the word was the creator. It says that all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jesus was the creator himself. And this uh, uh, actually addresses a very important heresy that came from the early church, saying that Jesus was a created being. John says, no, Jesus was the creator. He was the one who executed God's words, the God the Father speaking in creation. Let there be light. Jesus was the one who created. Jesus was the one with the Father. He was God and he was the creator. The word was the creator. And then he says, in him, in Jesus was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In him was life. In other words, Jesus is not just the creator. Jesus is also the sustainer of all life. All life, even today, is derived from Jesus himself. Many would say, yes, God created. But when he created, he, it's like he wound up a clock and, and just left the earth to run on its own. Here, John says, no, all life, even today, all life has got its existence from Jesus himself. The fact that we are alive is from Christ himself. Jesus is the life. He's the life. And then lastly, he says, in verse 5, he says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. But that light, Jesus was the light. Jesus was God's revelation. Jesus came to reveal to us who God is. And one way I can explain that, I was thinking as a child, we used to play this game. Um, and I don't know what the English word for it is. Maybe you can uh, come and tell me afterwards if you've got a name. But uh, directly translated, um, we we used to call it dark room. Dark room. So how it worked was, we would have switch all the lights off. When we were quite little, only in one room, but later when we got a bit older, we actually, um, when my parents were in their rooms, we would switch all the lights in the house off, and some of us would go and hide, and then somebody will come and look for us. We will try to make the house as dark as possible. Now, I have a younger brother, it's about three years younger than me, and it was his turn to come and look for me. And I was able, I don't think I'll be able to do it today but I was able to climb up right onto the top co- cupboard and I hid myself in there oh and my brother was hes coming into the room now it's pitch dark and he's looking for me and he just can't find me and he keeps on looking and he keeps on looking after a while he gets tired and he gives up but I remained there so guess what he did he switched on the light to reveal where I was hiding because he couldn't see me Now, in a a sense, this is what happened with Jesus' coming. Jesus switched on the light to reveal God to us. Because think about it, God is a spirit. We can't see God. But when Jesus was born, Jesus was the light. He was the light to come and reveal who God is. Another way to put it is that Jesus was God's message to us. Jesus, in Jesus, is God's full revelation. Everything that we need is in Jesus. Just uh, keep your hands here, at John, uh, your finger at John chapter 1, and just page over a few um, pages to John chapter 14. We'll come back to John chapter 1. And Jesus speaks to his uh, uh, disciples. There from verse 7. And he says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? There Jesus says to His uh, disciples who didn't want to understand, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. I came to reveal my Father. Jesus The Word is God's full revelation to us. You can go back to John chapter 1. So here John introduces us to the Word, the Logos. The Logos. And we see that Jesus is so much more than just a baby lying in a manger. We see that baby that was lying there. He was eternal. He was the second person of the Trinity. He was the creator and sustainer of all life. He was the light of life. He was very God. He was God himself in a baby. So this is our first heading, the word, the word. And then we see our second heading, the word became flesh, became flesh. Now, the word therefore for flesh is the word carne. Think about the carnivore. Somebody who only eats meat, a carnival. It actually says that the Word became meat, became flesh. Why did John mention, say it like that? Why did he say that the Word became flesh? It's because God became, in Jesus, He became physical. He became physical. Now, when the Word became flesh, God was stepping down into the physical realm. I mean, in the Old Testament, even though God was always close to his people, and he spoke to them, he sometimes appeared to them, only once a year in the uh, tent of meeting, later on in the temple, once a year with the high priest, suddenly this all changed. God was now physical, he was with his people. And the Apostle John could never get over this, ever. In uh, John's epistle, uh, in 1 John, later in the Bible, you can go and read it for yourself. I'll just read you the opening verses, where uh, John says, "That, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. He's using all these senses. We were able to see him, to touch him, to hear him. God became physical. He stepped into the physical realm. And that is what the birth of Jesus was. <coughs> is God stepping down to become physical. This means that Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born as a baby. That was merely the time when Jesus took on flesh when Jesus became meat, when he became flesh. In the words of Charles Wesley, Charles Wesley wrote, Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. In Christmas, God became flesh. The eternal God, who is spirit, he took on frail human flesh, and he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. Now it is very important also to understand here that God did not, uh, or Jesus did not cease to be God when he was born. Jesus had both a human and a godly nature. And those two natures never mixed with each other. That is why Jesus is also sometimes called the God-man. Jesus was both God and man at the same time. We may not be able to understand it fully. But that's what the Bible teaches us. That is who that baby that we celebrated Christmas was. Both God and man. By becoming man, think about it that Jesus subdued himself to all human frailties. I mean, physically, Jesus was hungry. He was cold. He was tired. Emotionally Jesus had to had to endure um, animosity from others others being jealous of him others hating him Jesus had to endure being deserted from others betrayed by others and then spiritually Jesus was attacked by the devil and this always it always blows my mind to think Who created the devil? The devil we believe is is an angel that was created by, what we see Jesus. Jesus created the devil. But by becoming human, by taking on flesh, Jesus was submitting himself to be tempted by his own created being. And this makes us realize that By becoming man, Jesus did the most humble thing ever done. He stepped down to become flesh. Now there was this one uh, theologian from the early church called Athanasius. Those of you uh, may know that um, the one that penned the, the most authoritative document in church history about the trinity. Athanasius, uh, uh, we call it the Athanasian Creed, was written about 300 years after Jesus, uh, after Jesus was born, about uh, 300 AD, and he wrote about Jesus being God and man in the following. I just want to read us a small part of it. It says, "Although he, that's Jesus, although he is God and man, yet Christ is not two but one. He is one, however." not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one man is both rational, a rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and man. The word became flesh. We will never be able to fully understand this. But God became visible. He came to us. And then he became one of us. And this is now our third ending. Our third ending is, And the word dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. Now this phrase literally means, in the Greek, that Jesus pitched his tent among us. He came to camp. Among us here on earth. And this phrase. Pitches' his tent. Reminds us of the tabernacle. All those years ago. In the Old Testament. When they had the tent of meeting. God was meeting his people. In a tent. But now when Christ came. This took on a whole new meaning. The word became flesh. And God came to his people. Permanently. By Jesus. Living here on this earth. And this is what was reminding me of this undercover boss. Jesus, who was ultimately high and lifted up. He's, he's God. I would think if Jesus uh, today, lived today and he had a business card, his business card would probably say, founding member of the whole universe. Because that is what Jesus is. He's the founding member. Everything that exists owes its existence to him. He stepped down to come and live an ordinary life among us ordinary people here on earth. Not for one week, but for about 33 years, Jesus came to earth. He stepped down and he lived among us. Over uh, the years of me working um, within various different roles, One thing that I've heard quite a lot when um, senior managers or the board or somebody takes certain decisions that people complain about is, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They sit there in their air-conditioned offices and they make certain rules and and, uh, uh, implement certain policies without taking into account the life that we have here in the field down below. But we can never make that accusation to God because God came down to us. Jesus humbled himself and became a man and he pitched his tent here, he dwelt here. And God's presence came to this earth through Jesus. Many think that Jesus lived quite a decent life until he suffered and died on the cross. But that is not true. Just by Jesus, who is infinitely holy, who is, who is infinitely high and lifted up, to contract himself to a span, as we've seen, is the most humbling act there can ever be. So why did Jesus come? Why did God bring Christmas about? Why did the world become flesh to dwell among us? And there is a clue there in verse 17 of John uh, John's gospel. It says there, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, there are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who are under the law, and those who are under grace. What do I mean with that? God's will for all people in uh, in this earth is to obey His commandments. That is God's requirements for us to be made right with God. For us to be uh, stand in any kind of relationship with God. We need to obey all of God's commandments. Even in the Old Testament they realized that was not possible. It says through Moses, because Moses is the one in the Old Testament that brought God's ten commandments down from the hill, from the Mount Sinai, to reveal what God wants uh, from us, how He he wants us to live. But even in Old Testament times, they realize none of us are able to obey God's laws. It says there in Psalm 14, it says, The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men, to see if there are any who understand, who see God, they have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. And then in Isaiah 53, well-known verse says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Until, until, the Word became flesh. When Jesus came, He was the one who obeyed God perfectly. He was the one who lived a perfect life, who never broke, have broken any of God's commandments. He was pure. He was sinless. And then He died on the cross. That's what made Jesus the perfect Savior. And that is what his name means, by the way. Jesus is the perfect Savior. Two people, kinds of people in this world. Those under the law. Those who are required to obey God's all of God's laws. Or those under grace. Those who are in Jesus. Because you see, after Jesus came to this world, he lived the perfect life. He died to pay for all our sins. What happened there, there was an exchange. It made it possible for us to be right with God. And how does that work? That is there in verse 12. One of my favorite verses in verse 12. says, But as many as received Him, to them He, that's God, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. So how do we get the merits of Christ? How do we Get all our sins forgiven Is by trusting and believing By faith Believing in Jesus Some of you might ask But what does it mean to believe in Jesus And true saving faith Is made up of two big uh, Components The first one is understanding it's For us to understand That no matter how hard we try We can never ever Obey all of God's commands We will always sin and we will sin again. That we need a Savior. It's to understand that we need Jesus to be saved. And then the second part of saving faith is trust. Is then to place our trust in Jesus alone. To believe in Him and to rely on Jesus. That He is our Savior. The wonderful news is once you trust in Jesus, Once you place your faith in Jesus, you will become like one of his own children. This is what it says here. He gave the right, the right to become God's child. What grace that is. Simply by trusting in Jesus, we become one of his adopted children. We are one of his children. No matter what sin we've done in the past, No matter how badly we have lived. By merely trusting in Jesus as your Savior. Your sins will be forgiven by the death Jesus died on the cross. But more than that. If we can think about it in in money terms. Let's say you've got a debt of one million pounds. If somebody comes and pays off that debt. What will your balance be? Zero. But God requires a million Pounds positive balance. But this is where Christ comes. Christ have lived that perfect life. So not only will all our sins be forgiven, the perfect life Jesus lived will also become ours. And it will be as if we have lived that perfect life. And then the life that we live of obedience is purely because of our gratitude to Him. It's not to earn any favor with God. All of the favor I have already. Has already been earned. On our behalf. See brothers and sisters. The real significance of Christmas. Is that the word became flesh. It's thanks to Christmas. We have the perfect savior. It's thanks to Christmas. We don't have to be. Lost in our sin. We don't have to be condemned by God. Any longer. Thanks to Christmas. We have the full assurance. That God truly loves us. Christmas is God's love on display. No matter what type of circumstances you may be facing today. Because of Christmas you can know. That God truly, truly loves you. Because he sent his son. The word became flesh. Even better, thanks to Christmas. We have a hope which extends past year and now in this life, a hope that extends into eternity, an eternal future with our Lord. So let me ask you, have you trusted in the word which became flesh? When you see all the nativity scenes around you, and the baby Jesus lying in a manger, Do you see the Savior of the whole world there? More importantly, do you see your Savior? And for those who have trusted already in Jesus, Christmas offers us the opportunity to rediscover the wonder of the Christmas message. That is why it is so convenient to celebrate Christmas every year. It forces us At least once a year, and I hope it's not the only time of the year, but at least once a year we can think of the miracle of the incarnation. The miracle of God becoming flesh. Do you use this Christmas time to refuel your zeal and your commitment to our Lord? Do you spend this time, if you have a bit of time off from work or things are a bit quieting down, do you spend this time To meditate on the gospel message. Do you maybe read an extra devotional. Or do some Christmas devotionals with your family. Or just meditate on the good news. Maybe Christmas is a time where you feel tired. After a very busy year. Or maybe Christmas is a time when you are reminded of sadness and grief. Having lost a loved one. Let me encourage you, use the message of Christmas to comfort you during this time. Think about the God who became flesh and who dwelt here on this earth. Go to Him. Go to Him with your grief and your pain. Take it to our Lord. Because He was here. He lived here as a normal human being. He experienced the sadness that you have. He experienced the grief that you have. And the last application. Share this news. Share this news of the true significance of Christmas. Share it with those whom you meet. In a loving and um, open way. With your family. With your friends. Share this news. Because the real significance of Christmas is truly wonderful. Think about the real significance of Christmas. May I take this opportunity if I don't see you? Have a real blessed Christmas. A merry, wonderful Christmas. Because of this message. That John was speaking about.